This episode is brought to you by The Romero Group, a full-service property management and investment company based in the Roaring Fork Valley since 2015. Their extensive team of 100 professionals supports their core focus of association and special district management. In addition to property management, they have a vibrant real estate division and recently acquired the Lakota Canyon Development and Golf Course in Newcastle. I can attest they are locally based experts and dedicated members of the community and proud sponsors of Selling the Mountains. Learn more about their services by visiting www.romero-group.com. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of home ownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America, including Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is legendary Aspen broker and developer, Bob Bowden. After graduating from Valparaiso University with a BSEE in electrical engineering, Bob became involved in the family electronic manufacturing business and attended graduate studies at the University of South Dakota in Stanford. In the mid eighties, he sold his interest in the company and moved to Aspen, Colorado, where he invested in real estate and became a fixture in the community. Bob went on to obtain his real estate license, became a successful broker, and eventually moved into general contracting and built spec homes under the flag Bowdoin Homes. With success in development, Bob saw a need to offer residential and commercial design services and opened the Aspen Design Room. Along the way, Bob raised four kids in the Aspen School District and currently serves as chairman of the Aspen Education Foundation. In our conversation, we discussed a design-first approach to residential development and leveraging brokers as your sales force, then the pressing need for additional affordable housing inventory. Lastly, we discussed the evolving nature of clientele for mountain homes and the trends currently driving the market. I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Bob. We had three types of bands that would come in and play. And, and now mind you, I've been here a month, two months. So I'm meeting everybody. And I mean, it was, it was just a great way to meet people, right? Well, you have just local bands that were happy to get a stage and play in a really nice place. And so the local bands would just, oh, the Natives was one of them, names you wouldn't know. But they played and they gave it their all 110%. It was just great fun, great energy, right? Yeah. Think, think of Animal House and, you know, when they're playing the you know, shout. I mean, it was just fun. And then you had uh, mid-sized bands. And the mid-sized bands were like the ones backed by, oh, you know, Bud Light, like a Bud Light spring break band, that kind of thing. So we called them the, the B bands. If the locals were C, they were B. And they, uh, they were fine, you know. But every once in a while, you'd get somebody that was a B player that was awesome. So Dave Matthews was a $5 ticket, and nobody really knew who he was. And I mean, it was like, wow. And I'm not really trained in music, but I kind of know music, right? I listen a lot. And so he gets up and plays. I'm going, who's this guy? Who's this guy? What's his name? And you just sit there through the whole sound check. Sound checks were the best. 
I mean, they were the best. And if they were really good bands, friends would call and come in and want to sit and have a drink early. <laughs> and uh, sometimes we wouldn't leave till the show was over, you know, two in the morning. Really, really fun. Melissa Etheridge came through. She was a $5 ticket. Uh, and this is like really fun stuff. Then, because it was a good venue, we had a lot of the locals. I mean, Buffett lived here at the time. Glenn Fry lived here. Don Henley was up in Old Snowmass, right? I mean, the Eagles started at the little where the Little Nell is now. I mean, that's where they really, you know, cut their chops. And it was, uh, they wrote a lot of stuff there. And what great fun. And John Denver had a band called the, uh, uh, what was it called? Johnny and the Jets? Johnny and the, I'll think of it. But that was code for uh, John, you know, John Denver's band. And he would play blues. And it was a little, man, I have to tell you what, I'm not sure he was a blues singer, okay? I mean, he had that high, angelic, really clear, pure voice, but man, he had a ball and it was, it was fun. And so first New Year's Eve, we uh, uh, brought the uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac in. Uh, it was a $300 ticket, which today we would say it wasn't a big deal, but it was a big number back then. And it was just a show of shows. It was utterly amazing. McFleet wooden person with his big old eyes. And that was crazy. And Stevie Nicks needed a red. She needed to insisted in her contract to have a red velvet couch in the suite, the front room of the suite in the Hotel Jerome. Well, <laughs> we had to go get it, right? So we got it. it it's 300 people. It's a 300-person venue, tiered seating, good sound. Uh, I mean, memories I will never forget. And now here's a, here's a story. So every person that played, I mean, David Crosby played two weeks out of jail when he went to jail in Texas. Crosby stills a Nash. And Stephen Stills has played a bunch of times. Leon Redbone, you may remember. There's Budge for you. He, he was a, quite a character. He played on Saturday Night Live a lot. He, he kind of a half a regular, but he was sensational. I'm, oh, Kenny Loggins, Loggins and Messina. I mean, these are like 80s, 80s right? It was the 80s, though. So what, what do you expect? 80s bands. Uh, they would all sign the back wall. They would sign. So in the dressing room, we had this drywall that was just plain drywall. It wasn't paint. It wasn't anything. And it had names that were just, I have to tell you, it was like a who's who, who, who. And then one day, the maintenance guy decided he was going to clean the place up. And you bet, he painted over the entire wall. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I spent a fair amount of time going back there trying to figure out how I could remove a coat of white paint off of, you know, drywall. But preserve. well, no can do, brother. It just didn't happen. <laughs> and I, tell you, I wept a little that night. That was a, that was, that was a tough one, right? So that was a good run. I met a lot of folks. It was really fun. Uh, and then, like I said, I started to do real estate uh, within, you know, after a year, figuring we needed a day job, something to do. You've been involved in real estate and development in Aspen for a long time. Uh, you arrived here in the mid-80s. How would, you, how would you say real estate and development is different today than it was in those earlier days? It has become extremely... Uh, big in dollars and therefore much more sophisticated. It's become much more legal. It's become more complicated just because it's bigger. You know. By the same token, we're being challenged on the other end of that spectrum with uh, the need for uh, small housing. We call it affordable housing. But if you go up and down the valley, it's actually, you know, some of these micro houses or tiny houses and that presents a whole other kind of fun opportunity that is also a real challenge from an from a engineering design standpoint, uh, but like never before, right? And we still have a great need for a lot more of these affordable housing units. And so it's all real estate 
and it's all development and use of the land. And uh, to me, it's just, uh, it's more challenging now than it ever has been, but it's more exciting and there's more opportunity. There's certainly a tension, you know, with the ratcheting up of pricing and all these mountain communities and Aspen here for sure, you know, with just the increasing challenges of, of, of housing with affordability. How do you address that in a town like this? I uh, have been studying uh, teacher housing recently. I'm on the Aspen Education Foundation board, and uh, we raise all the private money for the public school so that we the public school here can have just every advantage that uh, you know any any private school has anywhere. So, with that said, we need teachers, and the biggest issue teachers have is the housing, right? So. We take the housing, and I'm going to, being a developer, being a general contractor, an engineer, I have found uh, there's a project down in Carbondale, River Valley Ranch. Are you familiar with it? River Valley Ranch to me is like one of the greatest developments ever because they're effectively single family homes. They are single family homes. They have some flexibility, whether you want a garage, whether you want a one car garage, a two car garage. If you want to have above, you could put an extra bedroom up or you can keep it two bedrooms, you know, three. I am working actually right now with uh, Bill Post, an old friend of mine. And we're looking at how do we, how do we create these, uh, not really tiny homes, because they're not small, small. And we could zone the land, some land, let's say the county zones, 10 acres. Well, you could get 50 single-family homes, these lovely homes. I've already laid them out with the, the POS team, and we've studied these at least. And 50 single-family homes, that, that can cut a lot of different ways, meaning that they would serve a lot of different purposes, a lot of different people, and a lot of different demographics. And because you're going to build them in, in quantity, you're going to get that price down. You can prefab them, which is not a bad word. It's a, a good word. And it means cost, and you, they do it so intelligently now. And so you can roll them out, and it's the most cost-effective way of, of, of doing this because you don't have to build a big infrastructure. If you build kind of a condo project, you have to put parking someplace. You have to build the whole foundation at one time, right? I mean, you can't build half a condo building and then build the other half of the building. This, you see, So you're in for the whole thing. Well, here you can do some layout. You cut a few roads in. And as the need comes in, which I think would be a super high need, who doesn't want to have a single family home as opposed to a common wall and neighbors on all the sides? So here you could have a nice size home. Let's say it's 1,500 square feet. Well, 1,800 square feet. I mean, I, we haven't figured that out quite yet. But if you pattern them after the old town, that's a nice footprint. You get like seven of them, I think, per acre. And there's still green space and it's pleasant and, you know, it's quality, good quality of living. If you keep the parks and all that around, to me, you get the county or the city to zone land for that, even though it's not zoned now, you convert the zoning. And, and then you come in with this plan of mostly single family homes. I think you'd have instant communities, instant communities at the lowest price per square foot that you could produce anywhere. You know, you've been in Aspen a long time. You've seen things unfold. And in a lot of ways, Aspen is ahead of the game for affordable housing compared to most mountain communities. Have you spent time in other mountain communities or seen other things that you think should be adopted here? That should be adopted here? No. Uh, here's why. Aspen has been on the cutting edge of this for sure. So quite the contrary. I've had a city councilman, Dick Christensen, call me from 
uh, Breckenridge, and they are now adopting the, the affordable housing for like the first time, all right? And I, don't quote me, quote me. I mean, they may have some of it already, but he called to say, we, we realize where we're at with this as a community, and so we need to address it in a big way. And he, so he's looking for what is good about your program and what is not good about your program or what should we adopt and how should we steer that? So from that standpoint, Aspen's been a beacon and a real leader in this, a, a thought leader and an actual implementation you know, leader. We've, we've done it. And so other communities are learning from that. I don't think that there's really another great way to, uh, another, I've not seen anyone else do it in a great, uh, you know, enlightened way that's better. However, we have a problem that we have not yet addressed. And any new uh, significant move within the you know, expansion in affordable housing here needs to be thought through because right now, all affordable housing that's owned is owned by folks that are going to retire or maybe they stop working, but we're getting permanent residents that are not the working community any longer. And, and so I know I live at uh, I live up uh, behind the school, and there are three uh, larger uh, single-family affordable housing uh, pods that were built by uh, you know Jerry Hines and the Moore family did this originally, and I know about a third of them. Maybe that's um, that's the estimate. Okay, uh, certainly twenty percent are now occupied by the same folks that were working, but they were teachers or they were administrators or they worked at the hospital or they, and now they're retired. And what that does is it puts an onus on us, then the community to, to replicate that housing, right? Now play it forward. What happens when we replicate the housing? Because these folks have retired and now we replicated that, but then now play it really forward, right? 30 years, now they've retired. Well, then we have to build more. I mean, you, it's, an, it, it's non-sustainable. That's the issue. And so- Yeah, I, and I think I, these other towns like Breckenridge, I know Breckenridge is, is building a lot of affordable housing now. Jackson Hole is undertaking it as well. They're way behind Aspen. And it's great, right? They, they, they're taking those lessons that we learned, but our, our program is certainly by no means perfect. And you're, you're identifying one of the major issues is that you know, getting people to shift downshift um, once they're into retirement stage. Right. And that's, that's a hard challenge that it, we're facing. It absolutely is. I mean, it's a moral question. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an economic question, right? It's a practical question because you can't just keep building and keep building and keep building. I mean, there's a limit, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what that solution is. And people smarter than I will figure it out. But uh, I'm glad to hear Jackson Hole is an example, but uh, at Breckenridge I'm familiar with. And I mean, Vail's had it for a long time, but Vail's more of a corporate community, right? I mean, they've kind of just built that stuff in as part of the, the company. So I can't really speak to that as a public project. I think there's a solution here somewhere. I'm not sure what it is sitting here talking to you today, Christian, but, I'm, you know, it's there somewhere. It just has to be addressed. And we need to address it before we continue just to build. Because if we just continue to build, we're just going to have the biggest you know, retirement community in the country, <laughs> ultimately. I mean, you think Sun City's big. Come to Aspen. This episode is brought to you by Aspen Snowmass Sotheby's International Realty. 
the premier brokerage in Aspen and the Roaring Fork Valley. As the largest local real estate brokerage, we are a powerhouse firm with international reach and over 180 hand-picked brokers who are local experts, deeply vested in our community and our clients. We continue to set the bar in market knowledge, sales volume, and satisfied clients, and have helped our clients buy and sell more homes than any other real estate company in Aspen and the Roaring Fork Valley for more than 20 years. Our year-to-date sales are greater than the next four companies combined. For us, it's not just business, it's personal, because we're convinced there's no better place to live than right here, right now. Learn more by visiting us at www.aspensnomassir.com. We're a design-build company, and without going back too far, uh, I was asked personally to uh, consider putting a team together to help find homes for folks or build homes because back in the early 80s, there were just there were homes from the 60s and 70s. And in the early 80s, the first buyers were coming in, the first, a big wave of new money buyers were coming in. It was a time that the movie Wall Street with Michael Douglas was out, you might remember all that. And so there was that wave of uh, Wall Street money coming in and they wanted something better than what the homes were that were the 60s and 70s homes. And so that just uh, was a natural market uh, and I was involved as an engineer, I, I'm a problem solver, I like that kind of thing. And so I, I thought, well, you know, if we can build computers in my former business, I can build a house, we can figure it out. And so that's how we did that. And so that is, that's the niche. We, we, we become a design-build company and we started uh, by assembling teams of people, you know, like the best architects we could find and builders and uh, interior designers. Uh, and uh, over time, we just then became a vertically integrated company where we self-perform, we do that. So we have architects or architects that pretty much exclusively work for us. So today we're, we're a development company that has a general construction division and we have a development design division. The core, our core business is doing uh, developing our, our own homes, spec homes they're called, but I, we don't do spec homes so much. Many of our clients call them, you know, custom, you know, custom built homes, custom homes that are for sale. And there's a pretty big difference. So when you've been selling property for so long, which I had done for a long time, I listened and I learned what the people wanted. I asked questions and we learned more. And that's what we put into the homes. We found out what was important and what wasn't so important. And so because of that, we have this niche of being able to create homes that uh, people just like and they keep. An interesting statistic is I've done now, I think, with the latest home, we just started 76 homes here, residences. And uh, that's a lot. But out of that, 70, well, six or 72 of them have now been completed and purchased. And what's funny is 60... Uh, seven of those homes are still owned by the original homeowners, which is kind of an interesting statistic. Uh, the people like the homes. They stay with the homes. So that's the niche. These are really good, well-lived, livable Aspen homes that, that let people enjoy the lifestyle that we have here. And uh, that's, I think that's, that's probably it. We've expanded the business, though, to now do this same thing that we've done for ourselves. Uh, for other folks. And so as an example, 
someone just came to us uh, while we've, we've been working on uh, finding them, helping them find a piece of land. Oh, gee, six months. And so we found one, and now we're going to help them uh, assemble the team, and they want to use like their own interior person. That's great. Uh, we're going to bring our architectural team in. I'm bringing a particular team. So we're assembling the team. We will build them a home, design it, take it through the process, you know, and be their owner's rep, if you will. All the things we've learned to do for ourselves from a standpoint of you know, managing the budgets, managing our schedules, and delivering a home the right design, we're now offering to, uh, to, the, to the marketplace. What's the price range on, on these spec homes that you're building or these owner-managed projects? Well, that's, that uh, is, let me see. <laughs> a, good, a good answer to that question would be this. I could answer that in a price per square foot, which is interesting, or I could answer it in a gross price. You see a smaller home, smaller price range. If I had my druthers, I would say to you, a bigger home is going to be much more money, gross, but the price per square foot may be less. So to answer your question, 10 to $15 million, it's just a, it's a good, effective sweet spot. The market's climbed so much lately, 50 to $20 million is kind of where the market has moved. And this would be for a home that's from, you know, in the 5,500 to 7,500 square foot range. And so you're talking about, you know, $2,500 a square foot uh, price point. And we just sold two for over $3,000 a square foot, uh, which, again, were in the, they were in the high teens, both of those. So, you know, 15 to 20 is kind of the sweet spot with a, a, a mid-sized home. And then someone comes along and wants to have a big home, well, that price is gonna go up. So we sold one, oh, 10 months ago maybe, not even that, six, for 24, 25 million range. And I've done them, I mean, we've done big homes. I mean, we did a complete remodel on uh, the former Bandar home, which was 56,000 square feet. And that didn't have a price range, but that just becomes a whole nother, you know, a whole nother, uh, ballpark. 55,000 square feet is a lot of house. It's a lot of house. It was designed and built by a particular individual that had this kind of a need, you know, security and many people, and he traveled with an entourage. And I've never seen anything like it. I don't know that I would ever build something like that from the get-go, but we uh, we turned it into quite an amazing, comfortable, real, uh, you know, facility. and uh, you know, yeah, It worked for the folks that had it. Talk about the clients for a second. You know, you, you mentioned... You know, Wall Streeters coming in in the 80s and 90s, and, you know, Aspen's had its share of, you know, movie stars and celebrities coming in and out. And now, you know, from what I'm predominantly hear from brokers is, you know, it's a lot of hedge funds and investment bankers um, that are coming in. And, and now even more recently, some a lot of tech money from the West Coast. What do you how do you see clients back then to now? And how has that evolved over time? It's cyclical. We have major industries, right, uh, that make up our, you know, the world GMP, uh, and different industries are, are big at different times. And so I remember when uh, oil was hyperpriced, right, and uh, Texas, Texans were just coming up in droves, uh, or others from, you know, the oil and the energy, generally the energy industry. And then that fades, right? Oil prices change, but then suddenly Hollywood is hot. And so then you have quite a bit of, you know, quite a bit of those folks coming out, producers, or, uh, owners of the studios, or you know, big name actors they'll have. And then Wall Street, 
you know, gets a big run. And then, so then you get the hedge funds. And so, yes, yeah, so fund, fund managers, uh, uh, absolutely. Then you get tech, like you, I think you'd say. And, you know, Elon Musk, who would have known Elon Musk, right? Uh, you know, so it, it, does, it moves around. I mean, where is the money that particular decade, uh, right? What's the thread through all these people? I mean, it's, it's Aspen's the draw, right? And the, the lifestyle and the location and the mountains in general. Um, you know, is there a thread that runs through the decades? Yes, uh, with, with the caveat that it, within the last 12 months, we've had this entire flight from urban centers. With a, I think with a recalculation, and certainly the people I've dealt with recently, over the last year, 18 months, year, because of this, uh, you know, need to, I mean, quarantine is a word, but to isolate maybe somewhat more than what the cities allow you to do at all. That's become a very fascinating uh, rethink, I think, and repurposing of, gee, how do we want to live? And it's a return to some very simple, uh, like, I want to go someplace where I can just go hike for 10 miles or 20 miles, you know, I could I, you know, be alone or take my family. Um, it's a simpler way, kind of a return to a simpler way. Maybe a, I don't happen with me. I, I used to be the kind of fellow that just went out every night and had dinner and there you go. And pretty soon we're just, I mean, I'm playing board games with my kids. And at first I was trapped. I felt trapped. And within a few days uh, or a week, maybe two, I went, you know, this is really pretty cool. I mean, I had a re-appreciation for what some of the simple things in life were all about. And I think that that's happened with a lot of the folks that are, are you know, coming out here. So there's that. And, you know, is there, the big, to the bigger question about what common thread might be, you know, these are wealthy people that have become wealthy. For the most part, they're self-made. For the most part, some are inheriting money. But the people that make that kind of money, they're just naturally curious. They're active. They are doers, right? Uh, big thinkers. And Aspen is the only center that offers all of this to, to these people. Uh, not to mention, once you get enough of them, then it becomes kind of a, you know, it's a turnstile where they're in and they're around and they're talking and you want to be where you can you know, share ideas and they, that's that's attractive to them. And there isn't another place that is so accessible where you get on the gondola and you're sitting there with one of the biggest real estate developers in the world or you're sitting there with, you know, a big venture, right? It's just so easy and relaxed that way. You don't have the paparazzi that it's very attractive to the wealthy that are just curious and, and want to combine that. You know, we talk about the Aspen dream or the Aspen idea. Uh, the body, mind, and spirit, the, you know, the old Greece and uh, Athens. and I mean, it's still very true, particularly more now than ever, that being with the family and doing that, uh, you know, that, through that reflection of what, uh, what are the real qualities of life I want to pursue here. This is particularly true when you get generational. The folks that are thinking generational, and they're my, that's my age, I'm almost 70, that uh, adult kids and then grandkids, and where do they want to be? I mean, gee boys, can I help them land someplace and have a piece of Aspen forever? Could that be a legacy I can leave for my family and their kids and their kids, their families? And I'm, I'm feeling that and we're seeing that. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's a very rewarding sense, but they're choosing Aspen as the place to do that, right? I'm reminded of the book, The Atlas Shrugged, right? And, and uh, Fountainhead and you know, who is John Galt and 
that independent thinking that gets you where you want to be, that has driven you know the American capitalist system for so long, these folks want to hang out with other folks like that because that's what stimulates them. And that, and then being able to be with their families. I think that that, that, that's, that is now the common thread, right? I think you're onto something there, that this new generation of wealth and, and families, and they're looking for something different in their mountain experience, right? And you're seeing that reflected in the design trends of the homes themselves and what people are looking for in their home. And, you know, you mentioned like the old days building 12, 15,000 square foot houses and really big and opulent and, you know, and things are a bit more in scale now. And I'm hearing that, you know, the trend is towards wellness and, you know, spa-like amenities in the homes, spacing so that you can have multi-generations habiting in the same house and not all over each other. And all those types of things, is that, are you putting a lot of that design philosophy into your new projects? No, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Spot on. That was a great summary right there. I, I applaud you. Do you want a job? We can run my marketing. <laughs> but that's, that's absolutely right. And there's a certain humility that I think is now pervasive within our buying, our buyers, that, you know, I don't need, ostentatious is out. I can't even spell that. But anyway, ostentatious is out. And... This sense of this is what I need. This is appropriate. They're doing it for themselves, and they're doing it for their families, and they're doing it for the really right reasons. And it's about them exercising the most, uh, the, you know, the best use of life, and which gets I don't know, a little esoteric, but yes, it's a wellness is important and accessibility to other, uh, you know, avenues of wellness. So you can meet with people, and you can have food and you can have the exercise and you can have, you know, I recently got into uh, uh, breathing exercises uh, led by this crazy guy, uh, Wim Hof, and one of my kids turned me on to him and it's just amazing, right? And you and you look at this and it's an energy builder and oh, it's very exciting, right? And then you talk to some other like-minded people like that. Uh, it's just amazing. But the homes themselves are, everyone wants an office. Because of the COVID, which has caused us to feel that we can now, that we've learned how to now work from home. So if we're going to do that, let's really have an office. Everyone wants a gym. That's that wellness aspect, partly because you can't go to other gyms, right? And that that moved us toward that. And that's been a pretty big thing. And if you can get a guest house, that's also fairly big. And that's, that's a bit of that generational issue, isn't that? Because... More people are talking about bringing their families together. Uh, and I don't know, when you have three generations, sometimes that extra guest house can be a guest house or a second dwelling area can be, uh, let's say, mandatory. <laughs> I have two grandkids, and I can tell you when they were just a little smaller that uh, it was really good to have another space to put them. <laughs> right? <laughs> so you'll get there someday. Uh, and it's all great, you know, because I can give them back to the, my daughter. That's great too, but a uh, compound. So the concept of a compound is fairly large, and that I'm getting asked more for that. How do we make that a compound? Swimming pools also funny, right? There's a specific that is part of the wellness issue because swimming is pretty amazing, particularly if, you, if you're a baby boomer. It's amazing. It's amazing generally, but I think you see my my point, right? It's low impact, you know, very athletic. It's cardiovascular. It's so it's a lot of the right things. So I'm getting asked for pools in almost every home. Where can we put a pool? How, where can the kids be? Where can we where can we have that? So, uh, those are some of the specifics on how we create a program for each home that has shifted pretty dramatically in the last eighteen months. 
So yeah, it's kind of a paradox, right? You're saying ostentatiousness is out, which I which I agree actually. Um, you know, in a lot You've of respects. Seen that. Yeah, I have seen it. You know, but on the flip side, you're saying the market has moved to fifteen to twenty million dollar residences, right? And that's an extraordinary amount in the world for a home. And these are definitely not their primary residences in most cases. Um, they definitely will have other dwellings, other elsewhere. So how do you how do you balance ostentatiousness with that type of level of spend on a home? Well, here's here's how I'll say it. This is simple supply and demand. So the price is purely is purely supply and demand, and we don't have much. I have brokers calling me two, three, four a week, a week right now, asking, "What am I coming out with? What's next?" I mean, they know I'm a developer, and so where are you headed? Can we buy something just off the plans, right? So, uh, it's uh, the price is one thing, right? The ostentatious side of it is that you're not just spending money for the sake of other people seeing it. It's not about ego and you having the biggest house, right? It's, it's about, is it appropriate for what I'm doing, for the size family I have, right? And that that's, it's just not for a show. I, and there were many homes, there were a couple of developers that did that, or in the late 80s, I can think of a few, uh, I mean, you know, several. And it was, they were just really big, ostentatious, showy, almost Las Vegas kind of homes. And I, I can't say that lasted very long, but then size was still big. So big log homes and big, big, big. And, and that's kind of the humility of a design has really stepped in now and, and kind of taken over. What's appropriate? What feels right? And I'm taking some of the biggest, wealthiest people in the world through some of the most, again, I don't always overuse the word humble, but I mean, just rather just normal, approachable homes. And they're saying, this is what I want. Let's talk a little bit about your business cycle. So you, you talked about identi you identify a property, you find one, and then your company purchases the property, you remodel it, and you sell it. How does that deal flow? At what point does a buyer come into the, to, to the, the deal? Is it before or after the, the property is finished? Just give us a little insight into how that process works. Right. Uh, I could take you to the beginning, which is when someone brings me something, or I'll see it. Either way, someone can bring it, or I'll just look. And I look at almost all the properties, like first thing in the morning, you know, 5.36, uh, I turn it on. We have a hot sheet, and we can see what's happened in the last 24 hours or since the last time we opened up the hot sheet. And I'll buy property sometimes by, you know, 7 in the morning, uh, offer contracts out, and we do it. Of course, someone else brings it to me. But once we have that, we do a quick analysis of the property. We understand what we can build on it, and we do this, so therefore... Uh, or I'll, we uh, call one of our professionals if there's a deeper question. But we understand pretty quickly what we can do, what we can build, what what can happen there, variations on a theme, right? We will uh, very quickly start to draw something. It takes us about three days to draw a house. That's about it. And it's, it's pretty short order. And then once I have a sketch, and there's sketches, yeah, uh, we can price that. And again, that's the value of us. So in a week's time, we have gone from I put it in a contract, Okay, I'll have a 14, 21, 30-day due diligence, depending. And within a week, we have a budget. We have a house designed. We have a basic palette. It's a bit secondary. Do you have any, uh, you know, I know you haven't been out to dinner as much in, in the town as much the last year, but um, where do you like to go when you go and pop into town for a meal? 
You know, I, 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 I think I mentioned to you I'm older, 70, so therefore I am pretty careful about what I eat, try to be. So sushi's always, you know, a, a, a plus. And so, and Michael and I are friends, and so I, I frequent Matsuhisa, you know, quite a bit. Uh, I, I love the uh, uh, Vietnamese uh, place, the pho, pho, pho. I don't know how you say that soup, but, you know, that's a, next to the old Domino's uh, where they make that. that that's great takeout. And it's just sensational. It's great fun. Metzaluna Restaurant was a place I lived because I lived very close to it. And uh, uh, Shreve Suki owned it, started it, brought it here from New York. And I knew the whole family. And, and now they're, he's back. He had uh, uh, started an energy company. But that's, that's just always one of my go-tos, just for sure. Little Nell, if you want to have the best breakfast, I think, in town, either go to the Little Nell or the least expensive breakfast is at the hospital. And it's awesome food. Get a veggie omelet, and it's to die for. I think it's like three ninety five. So that's the insider <laughs> secret for the day. Where else do you, uh, if you leave the valley, do you have a spot? It's funny. I just, uh, my son was playing hockey down in uh, Arizona this year uh, with the ASU development team. And so I took a house in Scottsdale or Paradise Valley, and it was great. It was just great. It was a great getaway. I thought I would have to be in the uh, in the water by the water, but it was awesome. It was just warm, and I thought it was good. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was good. So I would say there, I buy. A, I made an offer on a house, and I might build something myself down there. But it's a it's a hot market, by the way, down there. And a lot of good, smart people that I, I encountered down there. So I, that was really fun. So the desert, right? That's a great. That's a great alternative. New York City, you know. I mean, I got to go to the city. So I'll spend my. I'll go there, and for sure. And short of that, I love hiking. So I'll try to go someplace. And I just recommitted to go to Kilimanjaro one more time. Uh, we hiked it uh, when ten years ago, maybe more. I, I have to think. Uh, that was great, and I had my older kids with me, and that was sensational. And so uh, we're either going to do that or we're going to go to uh, base camp, just base camp. And uh, we know folks that have done that before and uh, regularly, and so that would be fun. So, you know, but I don't get – I don't leave that much. I, I, every time I leave, I come back and I go, why did I leave? I get it, but I tell you what, there's just not, not many places that attract me like this place does and I'm always happy to be home always you know does that happen to you you get off that airplane or you pull up the valley and you go oh there it is you see the snow-capped peaks you know you see the world cup downhill course from the back and I mean it's just something it's just something it just doesn't that's almost after 40 years right I sound corny maybe but it's just yeah this community's done a lot for me and I think I've given back and done a lot with the community for the community You can learn more about Bob at www.bodenhomes.com or connect with them on Instagram at Bowden Thanks for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe or follow the show. If you liked what you heard, please leave a short review and share it with a friend. For more information about Selling the Mountains, including feedback, suggestions, or sponsorship opportunities, please visit sellingthemountains.com and sign up for our newsletter. 
You can follow the show on Instagram or Facebook at Selling the Mountains. You can follow the host on Twitter at Christian Knapp or on Instagram at Napstagram. This show was produced in collaboration with Dustin H. James at Podwater. Selling the Mountains is a production of Moment of Truth, LLC. All rights reserved.